You're listening to Get Real KC with Jen and Eric. Kansas City's consumer-facing real estate podcast. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Get Real KC, where we are overflowing with a passion for all things real estate. I'm Eric Jurgensen. And I'm Jen Justice. And today in studio with us, we have the Executive Vice President of the Kansas City Home Builders Association, HBA, Will Reuter. Will, thank you so much for joining us today. Jen and Eric, thanks for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Hey, I, I just got to tell you, you came, I, I, I have the, the pleasure of being involved with the uh, UMKC Realtor Leadership Academy this year, and you came and spoke, and I, I have those notes. I took copious amounts of notes. It was fantastic. It was a ton of wonderful information. Thank you so much for doing that for us. And, and for coming here and being able to share some of that information with our listeners, it was really wonderful. Well, that's very kind of you to say thank you. Uh, anytime I've got an opportunity to go out and visit about all things new home construction, uh, if there's two people in the room, if there's 30 people in the room, if there's uh, if we're in somebody's basement in North KC, I'm going to come talk about those things. So I just appreciate the opportunity. Well, I think you hit all of our right. There's two here in the room. We're in the north part of Kansas City, and I'm hoping at least 30 people listen to the <laughs> podcast. So I think you hit all the numbers perfectly. <laughs> okay, uh, so... Uh, KCHBA, Home Builders Association. You know, there's a lot of people out there that if they know anything about it, they know that they're probably involved with a Parade of Homes tour. T- tell us what it is actually HBA is and what, what, what you do. Certainly. So the Home Builders Association of Greater Kansas City has been around for a little more than 80 years. It is a collection of not only home builders, the people pulling single family permits to to build the new houses in and around KC, but it's also composed of a number of different services providers, vendors, salespeople, trade partners. Uh, So it's about 550 member companies uh, that are involved in the soup to nuts of of new home construction, uh, from the financing all the way uh, to uh, the sales professionals and the people, the general contractors, the people that are uh, on site and pulling the permits. What we do is we seek to give a voice to the industry that is uh, being asked to provide housing for uh, all measures of of Kansas Citians. So uh, our association represents about 14 counties on the Missouri side and four counties on the Kansas side. So we are one of the only, what would you call local HBA that crosses state lines within uh, the National Association of Home Builders Federation. Uh, So you can think about it in uh, kind of the same way you would think about our government setup. NAHB, the National Association of Home Builders, is the federal side. They deal with the things with the administration and Congress and and those kinds of things. Then you have the state associations, ours being in Topeka and Jefferson City, obviously. Uh, so those are your state governments. And then you've got our uh, our local HBA. So uh, people have said, well, you're like the mayor of, uh, of local home building. <laughs> and uh, I, I, I eschew that because I, I want to make sure people recognize that uh, I'm not a politician. I'm not, uh, I'm not partisan in the things that I talk about or the things I evangelize on. This is really about making sure that we can put roofs over people's heads at a reasonable price and at a reasonable velocity. So we would like the mayor to be friendly to the HBA. Uh, So local mayors, if you're listening, we really like you to be friendly to the HBA so that we can provide affordable housing. That is uh, a well put, Jen, and I appreciate (laughs) you saying that. Uh, We represent as part of our our jurisdiction about 57 different permitting entities. So uh, we have relationships uh, in in cities and counties all over the metro, and uh, we work with them on a daily basis just so they can understand, hey, this is what it takes to, to put housing in at the volume, velocity, and price points that you're asking us to. Yeah, and the one thing I've learned about new home construction over the course of my 20-plus years and legislation, 
you've got, if you're in the business of real estate, you're kind of in the business of politics. Whether we like it or not, it happens, and we have to help those that are um, in power, so to speak, to understand our business because they're politicians and we're real estate folks. So we don't understand all the aspects of the political side and they don't understand the aspects of the real estate side. And so that's where we come together and people like yourself do a great job of trying to bridge those gaps so that we can come together. Absolutely. I, I would characterize my real role with the HBA as more of a translator. You know, uh, prior to joining the HBA, I spent 12 years in, in Washington, D.C. doing public policy. And so there are things that come about on the public policy side of things that don't necessarily translate one for one into what I would call the real world, uh, the, the place that we operate on a daily basis. And there are things that are needed in the real world, so to speak, that have to get translated into uh, a public policy parlance so that they can execute that. So I'm really just a conduit. I sit in the middle and I try to make sure that uh, these two communities of people, one being the representative and one being the represented, uh, are not talking past one another. Right. No, I mean, it, it's we we don't want to turn this into a, a political discussion, uh, and but you, you the HBAs are very structured, very similar to the realtor associations. We have national, we have state, both on Kansas and Missouri, and our local organization broaches both sides of the state line, which is somewhat unusual as well. Uh, but but I think you hit the nail on the head, right? When people are legislating these important things in any industry, they need to have people in the industry that they trust that aren't just work out for their own pocketbook, um, uh, helping them because politicians can't be experts in everything naturally, right? So and and what they really need to be experts in is politics. So um, I, I'm going to jump in and ask sort of we're kind of come down into a more granular uh, thing first, and then we're going to kind of talk about housing crisis and, and, and those kinds of things. But here's the question that I know, you know, the, the average home sales price of uh, a home in Kansas City has jumped uh, in the last year and a half, two years, and we're just over 300000 for the average home sales. Um, a lot of people are buying, that means that half are buying above and half are buying below. Well, it's median, but irrelevant. You, you get the idea. So I want to talk about the people that are buying homes in the two to $300,000 range, maybe even the one fifty. because I can tell you many of them look at new home construction and home, the HBA and go, why aren't you serving me? All, all I seem to see are these Four to eight hundred to four to seven hundred thousand dollar homes in these fancy subdivisions, and I can't. I, I maybe will aspire to that someday, but I'm a I'm a first time home buyer. I'm you know I, I don't work in an industry that's going to pay me like that, and I do it because it's my patent. Whatever it is, uh, so so what's the, right? What's the answer to that? Because maybe I was one of those people at one point and thought those builders all they care about is making huge money. They don't care about me. No, and, and that's, that's a very natural and, and common right. feeling out in the community. I mean, that is uh, one of the, the laments of our own industry is that we're not able to serve a broader portion of the would-be home-buying public. Uh, you know, you look at all of the input costs associated with bringing a product to market. And as much as my, my members and my uh, members of the industry would like to uh, say that, hey, we're the ones setting the market. We're making all of the decisions. The housing uh, stock in Kansas City is what we say it is. Uh, that's not true whatsoever, unfortunately. <laughs> not um, even close. We would love to have that kind of power. Don't get me wrong. But the truth is, is that we are market participants. We are not making the market ourselves. And so 
you know, you can kind of uh, look at what I would describe as five different L's that contribute to the overall cost of a home. You have the lots or the land, uh, so where the, the home actually is at. You have the labor, so the people that are actually swinging the hammers, uh, putting in the fixtures, all of those kinds of things. You have lumber, so those are the materials, your, your building materials, the things you're putting in. You have laws the regulations, what's allowed to be built in that particular jurisdiction, and then you have the lending, uh, so the availability of credit, the pricing of the credit. And so uh, you combine all of those things, and that's really what helps determine what your market is going to be. And all of those things have become increasingly more uh, volatile uh, over the past several generations. And so when you look at all of those, that volatility, volatility adds cost. Volatility adds uncertainty, which adds cost. And so when you start combining those those different elements, uh, you're going to get a more expensive product. And so in, in kind of starting there at you know, the, the base there, the, the first thing you've got to have is the land. And so uh, one of the kind of the interesting uh, mathematical occurrences that has happened in Kansas City is that uh, you can really kind of take the, the price of the land multiply it by five, and that will give you a pretty good indication of the type of uh, house that has to be built on that lot in order to recoup the fixed costs associated with bringing that lot to market. And so as, as land prices go up and as development costs go up, you know, those, those sidewalks, the curbing, the stormwater drainage, all of the things associated with land development, as those costs tick up, it has a disproportionate impact on the overall price of the home that you're going to have to put on that lot. So if you've got, you know, a $50,000 lot, you could conceivably bring a quarter of a million dollar uh, home to market on that lot. Those are increasingly rare, if not a unicorn in today's market. We see lots all over the metro going north of six figures in many cases. And so as far as being able to put a $200,000 home on a $100,000 lot, the numbers just simply don't work out. Sure. And 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 I get it. And, and, and trust me, I've looked at land and it's hard to find... I mean, I, I think uh, I think the house that I built uh, nine or ten years ago, we got a steal on a lot nine or ten years ago for fifty five, and sure. it was a steal. But so let me let me say exactly what you said. Let me paraphrase it a little bit simpler, right? So I, I love the five L's, right? So you know you've got the cost of land, you've got cost of labor. We all know that's going up, and we probably can talk about. I'm sure your industry is suffering huge labor shortages, like many, right? Um, You've got uh, lumber, and who hasn't heard about the skyrocketing price of lumber? Now it's come back down, but that volatility is a challenge. But it hasn't come down to pre-pandemic levels, and may not. Um, and then you said laws, right? So regulations. And the interesting thing that a lot of people don't understand is, is that when it comes to new subdivisions, the 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 managing entity, so the city, the county, the whatever it is, they're mandating certain things. Uh, about uh, frontage and sidewalk and everything because they want certain kinds of subdivisions. So that's, right, tripping you up. And what was the last L? <laughs> what did I miss? Lending. Lending, right? So, yeah, lenders, I mean, the cost of money. It's not like uh, – and we'll. I, I think I'm going to ask you to talk a little bit about it, but it's not like Kansas City is dominated by huge national builders that self-finance. 
Absolutely. Uh, Kansas City is the only top 50 residential uh, construction market in the country that doesn't have a top 50, 50 nationally ranked builder in it. And so you really have this uh, this collection of, of local builders. I represent about 242, 243 single family uh, home builders. Uh, pre uh, pre uh, downturn 08 and 09, there were more than 600 single family builders uh, as part of the uh, the HBA here in Kansas City, and so you know when you uh, have such a that's a, re- a huge number, it's right? it's, it's, it's enormous, yeah. and so uh, when you have such a, a reduction in uh, companies that are are willing and and frankly financially able to take on that kind of risk uh, because these are incredibly capital intensive projects uh, to to go in and, and put product in the ground. Uh, it does uh, reduce your ability to control some of, of those costs. Well, and the supply chain has just greatly affected that because we did, my father and I did a couple of one-offs many years ago, and he was a builder, a carpenter by trade. But when you look at trying to get into that market now as someone that only builds a few homes a year, you can't compete with a bigger builder that's already locked in with that supplier when we've got supply chain issues. It's just the way it is. So The, the where supply we had, broken chain? We had the, mm. the bingo supply broken chain. So when you're looking at getting somebody to um, pour a foundation or getting somebody to do that, they're servicing these other bigger clients. And where we had all of these smaller people that were providing product into the market, you can't even get in the door anymore. So that's why we've had such a reduction in this area, I think. Absolutely. And and you're, you're right, Jen, it's all about capacity. And it's not that uh, there is a, a, a lack of people that are doing the work. We certainly represent those at the HBA and, and they operate all over the market, but there's not enough of them. And so if you've got, if you have your crews running uh, the, the crazy hours that they are running, uh, eventually you get to the point where there's no more juice to squeeze out of that. And mm-hmm. that's what we're experiencing from a, from a labor market standpoint. Uh, there are, there are folks that just say, I cannot grow anymore. Otherwise I will not be able to serve my current customers. Sure. So they're just not taking on new business. And if you exactly. have, if you have an inability to bring in new business, you're going to get a level, a relative stagnation in your ability to actually uh, satisfy the enormous demand that exists for housing in Kansas city. So let's let's go macro again. Let's kind of come out and let's talk about because in Kansas City, we've known this for a long time. Uh, but now we're hearing about it on a national level. It's being called a housing crisis. The National Association of Realtors calls the situation dire. Um, the the president of the United States has this massive 40 quadrillion, however much money, and, but huge parts of that. Quadrillion? Is that the new currency know, after billion? Quadrillion? It's a, a lot of money, a stimulus package, but a huge amount. Of, there's a large portions of that have to do with housing and housing starts. So uh, new home construction, which H, you know, HBA is really focused in on, is only a part of that. But tell us, like, now that we, you know, how is that affecting or how how are we addressing that in Kansas City or at least how in the in the new home space are you guys working to help address those problems and maybe how did those problems come about here uh, certainly so you know after 08 and 09 you know there was a, a disproportionate impact on uh, felt by that downturn on new home building uh, there was a, a leveling of the industry I mean we saw uh, an enormous downturn in the number of permits pulled the amount of people actually operating in the 
the space. Uh, a lot of uh, developers, builders, and those entities went under because of the the amount of speculative inventory that they had on their books that they could not offload. There were no buyers for that product that they had been uh, working towards. And so it created a much more conservative culture within the home building space. And that can be extrapolated nationwide. There was a lot less willingness to go down this speculative building road because of the lack of safety nets that existed. It's basically, if we can't deliver this product, we're going to have to hold it. And eventually we're going to have to offload it and perhaps at a, at a significant loss. So, so for our younger listeners that maybe weren't paying attention to what was going on, you know, because they were younger. And so in 08 and 09, we had, we had a global recession. It was really housing related. It, well, it was really about poor lending practices, honestly, mm-hmm. that created the whole thing. It, it, it cascaded uh, nationally and globally uh, because of the way money is invested. And the result of that was for the first time in maybe American history, certainly since World War II, there was a decrease in value of homes and there was a huge uh, uh, over inventory is what you're describing. There was mm-hmm. there was a lot of homes that were built that now weren't being able to sold. So just to kind of break that down for people that didn't live through that or don't remember what was going on. So that was 13 years ago or, or so. Um, and then what you're saying is, is that a lot of builders either went under or didn't kind of build that, you called it speculative inventory, right? Think of it on a, on a one-by-one as they don't build as many spec homes because they don't feel like they necessarily could have sold them. Right. And, right. and so a way to say that. Right? Absolutely. That's that's exactly right. And so, you know, if you compound that year over year um, with, you know, not building enough housing to meet the current demand, that aggregates on a yearly basis. And uh, CNBC and, and other national outlets have reported that we're maybe about 5 million units short uh, as a country as to where we would need to be in order to just meet demand. And so that has a cost consequence uh, for the consumer that is in the market Supply today. Supply and demand, friends. Right. Yes. Uh, very, and in in just the most, uh, you know, effective uh, visualization of supply and demand, and that's exactly right. And so, you get this uh, you get this glut of of people that you know maybe don't have uh, an entry point into uh, uh, home buying. Those first time home buyers that that inventory doesn't exist. Those entry level price points don't exist, and then you don't have the empty nesters, uh, those 55 plus, they don't have an exit ramp uh, so that they can maintain their, their, you know, their geographic or their social uh, circle that they want to maintain. Once uh, they become empty nesters, they've got, you know, the family home. They, they're no longer divesting themselves of that home at the volume and velocity that previous generations had. We don't and have so all those nice put. villas. Not any of those nice villas that are uh, able to be put in the ground uh, for, you know, the uh, less than the price points of what we've been seeing. At that price point where someone with a, you know, income that's going to be the same every month, they don't have that income potential anymore to build. But, yeah. Right. Because of the uh, of the cost of the three L's going up, we, we can't. Right. So we have. And I think that's one of the many reasons why probably maybe the mo- the biggest why empty nesters aren't moving like they typically would downsizing or whatever they're downsizing but their payments won't be downsizing so that's not really attractive um, and then of course we had covid so we had people that aren't you know um, going into um, uh, retirement communities and whatever because they want that privacy and that separation i think we saw some of that so that's another thing that's affecting home affordability which has nothing really has 
only a little bit to do with new home construction uh, is is that people aren't leaving their homes uh, as they age like they typically would or typically have in the past. Yeah, when you're talking about adding in, you know, new housing inventory, um, you know, you you want it to to fit within the within the market, right? It has to make sense for what who you're building it for, who is who is able to buy. Uh, it's and, and I'll, I'll just bring up another example here about kind of helping determine or you know kind of wrap our minds around what creates a housing market. Um, you know, so you can kind of think of three different circles uh, and where they verge, and that Venn diagram is is the creation of the housing market. You, so you, the, said, you said Venn diagram, I'm in. <laughs> <laughs> so the the first one of those is uh, we build homes uh, where people want to live. You know, it, there's no point in in building a home in uh, uh, in the middle of nowhere if there's no services, there's no access, you know, it doesn't make any sense. And so we build where people want to live. We also build what people can afford. If the market is calling for certain things, we try to build it and we go as low as we can, we go as high as we can, uh, and, and all points of, uh, in between there. And then the third circle is what's allowed to be built, that regulatory component. Uh, so where those three circles converge, that, that middle area is what is, constitutes the housing market. And so if we want to expand what that housing market is, we need to make sure that we're investing in uh, services, in protective services, uh, our schools, that, cost, that, that helps determine where people want to live. We also need to revisit uh, what people can afford. We obviously need to expand that, uh, that diversity of housing stock and make it more diverse and give people more options. Uh, and then we also need to, to revisit uh, what's allowed to be built. Is a more restrictive building code ultimately going to yield more inventory? And I don't know that Probably any, not. Um, uh, probably not. Jim. You know, we, exactly. we, had, uh, we had the mayor of Smithville on, and uh, I know one of the aldermen, uh, Jen and I both do, uh, really well, super great guy. Uh, and um, we have had several discussions with them. What they're trying to do in Smithville is ease some of those restrictions so they can build more affordable homes, particularly in their revitalized downtown. And, and I didn't realize how much of a problem this is, is that when the city goes, okay, you've got to put in extra wide sidewalks and you got to put in bike lanes and you, there has to be X number of park square footage in every subdivision, what that does to the cost of land. Frontage, it affects yeah. how, what you can build, how you can build. I yeah. mean, there's just so many factors when you start looking into this that can be tweaked to help the product. And okay. so, you know, and there's there's – Lots of housing that really good housing that isn't traditional Kansas City suburban home, single family home, and it's own. You know, there's there. You know, we don't do brownstones like they do in the East Coast and that kind of stuff. But we could, and I think there would be a market for it. But we have to be able to have it permitted so that we can. Absolutely, and you're you're not going to get that uh, that innovative approach to new housing stock if it isn't made clear to those being asked to innovate that there will be a, a path to yes to get to this application. You know, you're not going to hire the architects and the engineers and go out and source the financing, the materials, if there isn't a real possibility of getting that, uh, that application approved. And so it's really going to require uh, cities, counties, uh, and, and neighborhood associations and all those things to say, you know what, maybe we need to broaden our acceptance of what it is that might be allowed. Because if that happens, uh, you're going to get uh, just a, an, 
incredible increase in the number of uh, innovations and and new products that are going to be brought to the market. And so if we uh, if we all find a way to get to yes on some of these things, I think that there will be some uh, a, a broadening of the market circumstances that will allow for a more diverse product, a more diverse product in both uh, square footage as well as uh, architecture, but but mainly in price. And then what we solve is the housing crisis. And I think it's important to pull back that with the public input, the legislative input, and the housing providers' out input, we can create that win where that housing stock might not look like it does right now, but that would help us create that broader spectrum so hopefully we can achieve some more affordable housing to solve some crisis. Uh, and we, we have to have that um, because if we continue uh, down the road that we're going uh, in the absence of any divergence or taking in some of that new uh, economic uh, data or any of that new worldview that we're seeing, people want different things. And, uh, you know, we as an industry will always say we will build whatever is allowed uh, within reason. And, you know, and what I say within reason is, you know, we're not going to, um, you know, build 100 square square foot, you know, uh, sheds, we're going to provide single family housing, multifamily housing, higher density product, whatever that will look like. But show us how, uh, uh, Mr. Councilman, Mr. Commissioner, how you're going to say, yes, we're going to allow that to occur and we'll make the investment and we'll do it all day long. Right, right. All right, so uh, let's just kind of talk about trends right now. So, you know, anybody who's looking at economics and economic forecasts, there's always a discussion about new housing starts, um, although I guess we probably ought to get a definition of what a new housing start is from that perspective. But along with that, where are what, what where are we trending in Kansas City right now with builds with starts? So uh, our starts are up uh, even year over last. Uh, so we've seen uh, a significant increase in the number of single family permits pulled uh, in the Kansas City market uh, over the course of the past uh, several months. So uh, through September of this year, uh, the Kansas City market, the area that we track as an association, we've pulled four thousand six hundred and seventy eight single family permits uh, at the same time period last year, that was 3,991. So even in the face of the supply chain issues that we've experienced with, you know, windows and door, garage doors and, rock, and just you name, it. you name it, and it is on a boat somewhere off the coast of California, uh, rather than in the <laughs> Kansas City market being installed. And um, uh, even in the face of all that, demand remains enormously high. And I don't think you can discount the impact that uh, this historically low interest rate environment has had on the uh, the, the consumer's mindset. Because at the end of the day, what many people are looking at is what is my monthly payment going to be? Not necessarily what the overall cost of the home is, but what is my monthly payment going to be? And so uh, if the financing is going to be uh, that much lower than what it has historically been, there are more people willing or able to get to yes because of that that lower monthly payment. We talk about it with our clients all the time, right? There's a whole generation of people out there that haven't seen an interest rate higher than 6%. And, and they're, you know, not next month or even next year, but I think there's some shocks coming. And, uh, you know, I remember my parents buying a home in the 70s at, you know, 14% and getting a good deal. Right. Um, and, and we try to counsel them and say, look, you know, as the interest rate moves up, this is what it does. And we talk about that overall thing, but we also talk about here's what it does to your monthly payment. So I think that is a huge driver in keeping the real estate market as strong as it is now and the demand really up there. 
one of the things we have experienced recently uh, in that regard, Eric, is that, you know, most of our builders in the market, they, they do what we would call a build job, someone that comes into a builder's office and they write a sales contract right then and there, they identify the lot and that, that buyer has control over the entire process from uh, beginning to end. And then you also have what I referred to earlier as the speculative market, some a builder that will begin a house recognizing that I'm going to get it to a certain stage and then a buyer is going to come in uh, at that point. So they're building, they're speculatively assuming that someone's going to buy what they're building essentially. And so there's usually uh, a mix and every builder is different. Some do, you know, do predominantly uh, build jobs. Some uh, try to focus more on the speculative side of things, but those who are doing a mix of both, which is most um, are seeing some of their speculative construction uh, being uh, a pause, even while the home is under construction, because they've got to divert the crews, they've got to divert the resources and the people over to the build job side of things that already has a buyer, that person needs that house delivered on a certain date. Um, and so we're seeing some of the speculative builds slowing down because that attention has to be paid on the build job side. The consequence of that is that when that speculative home is further along in the process or is finished, it's going to be higher priced because that that construction loan, that interest aggregates on a daily basis. And that so as whole those, time just went up. As those can as those construction timelines extend, you're going to get a more expensive product. Just you know, because. I'm curious. Would so back when you know we had a decent spec inventory, what was the average holding time for those houses? Do you know? You know, it wasn't that long ago, maybe uh, a decade or more, that you could probably go from uh, a handshake to handing over keys uh, in five months. Yeah. And if you're able to build that exact same floor plan um, in the same market on a similar lot, that's probably 10, 11, maybe Yeah, it's double months. now. Yeah, I, I would have figured about double, but I was yeah. I knew you would probably know exact pretty close to it. So. And and it, it is, it is, you know, it's, it's not just you know, the regulatory side of things. It's not just the the availability of capital. It's it's, it's something all... in the air in the world right now. <laughs> Everything I mean, it's just, just takes happening. Longer. It's just happening. It just is. But yeah, I mean, so there's a real cost to double the holding time for any person involved in that process. And there's just no right. deniability just about to... that being, you know, a factor of why cost is increased. Mm -hmm. And just to simplify that, right? So what we mean by holding time is is that builders are getting loans and they're paying interest on those loans, and they're paying that interest monthly. And so when from start to finish your home takes five months, you pay five months worth of interest. And when it takes 10, you pay 10. So you double the amount of interest you have to pay. These are part of the costs of building a home, just like buying the lumber and hiring the people to swing the hammers and run the electrical. Exactly. So. I, I love the way you broke that down in the five L's. There are five, and, and we, we're not suggesting that any one of them is the sole creator of why homes are expensive, new, new homes. But together, it starts to make sense that like, oh, this is why it's very, very hard to find a new construction home at $200,000, $250,000. Well, There's and you just put in the simple fact of that uh, cost that you just explained, Eric. I mean, that simple cost alone is going to be a pretty big dollar number now when you double that. And so trying to build something on a $200,000 line when you've got $50,000 in holding costs, and I'm just assigning a number, it could be that, it could be something else, but you don't have, you'll be in the red before you're done with that house. Mm -hmm. That's just how it happens. So nobody that is knowledgeable about the building process or in about building a home is going to start off 
building a home when they know they're going to lose money because honestly, no one wants to go to work and then their boss come to them at the end of the day and go, you owe me $500. (laughs) That's not the system that we live in, right? That's just not. So that's the reality of it. I flipped homes and this was a huge concern for us uh, in terms of having the work take longer than we expected. And for us, it really wasn't even at the time supply chain. It was just missed estimation. But you start talking about supply. Oh, there was supply chain issues too, though. You yeah, guys faced that. Yeah, there's a little bit. But so I mean, yeah, painting and sheetrock, and that got to be a real yeah, deal in the, the middle. Sheetrock so, was I mean, an issue. So see, a, that's part yeah, of it, though. It's, that's it's the just supply part of chain it. and labor and whatnot. Yeah. And so you know that that's a real concern when you uh, on the last house we flipped. That that was a real concern, and it certainly has made us shy. To, to jump into another big project. Which builders don't feel any different, I guarantee you. Right. No, that is very true. And when you're looking at, uh, you know, the the lumber side of things, you know, with the volatility that we've seen, uh, a lot, lot, lot of headlines about uh, sure. uh, lumber markets, obviously. And, you know, lumber was really just kind of the canary in the coal mine for all of the other materials. You know, it was one of the things that was most easily understood from a, from a consumer-facing standpoint. Okay, uh, lumber is up. That means the cost of the house is going to go up. And so we've been we've been cautious to to remind people that, you know, the lumber is obviously a significant component of the overall cost of construction. I think you told us 12 percent. It's about 12 percent of the overall cost of the house. So whatever, you know, the consumer is seeing from a newly built home, you can assign about 12 percent of that cost to the to the cost of the lumber. That's much bigger than I actually would have thought. So, yeah. And and so uh, when you, it's the single largest line item on a new build other than the land that the home sits on. Uh, the, and so when you start to look at the lumber and the volatility associated with that, you've also got to take a look down, up and down that pricing sheet of where all of the other costs are coming from. You look at uh, steel mill products right now. I mean, it is enormous. And the amount of steel that goes into a new home is, is not insignificant. You add uh, gypsum, which is the primary component in sheetrock the availability right. and the price of that uh, insulation uh, windows is a it, it, w- it was a 16 week lead time at one point it's even greater now garage doors even uh, for even some of the most uh, rudimentary ones it could be up to upwards of eight to ten months in a lead time and so you've got people that have to make relatively quick decisions in a build process that they historically haven't done and so it's just like well you better know exactly what you want when you uh, enter into this conversation because we're going to have to order it right away. Right. And order, it won't order be here be for a year it. later. How's that for instant gratification? <laughs> <laughs> all right. We're, we're running out of time. So I've got the question I ask all of our guests, uh, which is, what is the craziest thing you've seen? And it, it doesn't have to be in the Kansas City market, but just in, let's keep it to residential, though. Residential real estate. What's just the, Give us a crazy story. You know, I think the craziest thing is really the last 18 months. I mean, who would have thought that a global pandemic uh, coupled with an economic downturn would have resulted in an enormous historic investment in real estate, right? Uh, You've got people that are now uh, reassigning value to the place that they live in a way that they hadn't previously. Not only is it where you sleep, which it always has been where you sleep, it's where you are working. It's where you are worshiping. It's where you are working out. It's where you're educating your kids. Your your home had never been more important over the last eighteen months than it than it was. And That's so true. and so we're seeing you know additional square footage being added to to homes. Not only do I want a new office, I need a new office. And in fact, we need two offices because we're a dual income household, and I can't stand sitting next to my husband or wife while they're on the phone. They've got very different work styles, and so. 
what I think the the craziest thing is that it it defied all conventional understanding uh, about uh, real estate relative to an economic downturn. Uh, I think that uh, as we're obviously you try to forecast what life is going to look like in the future, but I'm curious to see what this current housing market and over the last 18 months is going to look like in hindsight. And, you know, kind of wondering, boy, I wish we'd have known that in March of 2020. Like, I wish we could have talked to the lumber mills uh, all over the U.S. and say, don't stop your production. Don't shut down your lines. We're going to need that lumber uh, all all summer long. We're going to need more than you've ever produced before, Ex- by the way. Exactly. Yeah. And, and make sure that we deal with that uh, traffic jam at all of our ports of entry because we're going to need those washing machines and those stoves and those convection ovens. We're going to need all that stuff. Uh, it just it, it seems preposterous to have thought that that would be the case in March and in April of 2020, and yet it's borne out. And I think we're going to be paying dividends on that uh, that lack of understanding about where the market was going to go for the next couple of years as we kind of work our way through this. I don't know how we could have understood it, though. No, no. Because and- you probably, like me, sat in your house when this first happened and, and you wondered, are we all going to die? Like, is the world coming to an end? Like, what is actually going to happen? And I chose the YOLO approach. That's just who I am. So YOLO, I'm out on my boat in the middle of the lake, living the dream, right? Fearful that, yeah, I blew this money on this and maybe I'm going to need it, but who cares right now, right? So If the apocalypse comes, at least I'm doing it, you know, on the water. That's right. That's right. I'll be the last one to know. But we couldn't have known. I have, I just... Anybody that had that premonition, I, I would love to talk to them, right? Well, we would have burned them at the stake because uh, we would have thought that we would. We would have. Well, I think we did. I, I, I think I think there were lots of people screaming about you know what this was going to do short term and long term, and I don't think we we went nah can't be that bad and and so yeah oh yeah uh, that was great though yeah so great no but that's that's true i mean that that is if you if you reflect on it we talk about it and and you know just how it changed the nature of of not only our world but our industries and our understanding of our industries and that is crazy by far so your perspective is very very enlightening well well i appreciate that and while that may have been the the craziest thing that uh perhaps any of us have experienced in in real estate or in life in general uh has been these past 18 months i think the craziest thing that we've got to work to prevent is for uh, our our leadership, whether it's at the federal, state, or local level, to take its eye off the ball and and not recognize their own role in what it takes to bring this housing to market. And a crazy thing would be if they thought that this was a good time to introduce new restrictions on things, saying, "Hey, actually." Um, we need wider sidewalks because there's more people riding their bikes. Uh, that may be true, but is this the right time given that the, the thing that we hear most often from the most amount of policymakers is where's the housing? Well, at a certain point, we're going to have to take a right. look in the mirror and recognize that, that their own role in that and to work with the industry saying, hey, what can we do uh, to work with you to, to bring this is what we want uh, and this is what we need. Where's the overlap there to see what you can deliver? Yeah, no, I I agree, and like I say, I, I've been talking with you know, some politicians at, at, that that get that, and they want to make those changes, and and it's one of many things that needs to happen. But 
Hey, we're, we're out of time, but Will, I can't thank you enough. It's been enlightening. It's just as fascinating as it was a couple of weeks ago when I got to hear you speak, and I so much appreciate you come sharing that with us and our listeners. Absolutely. Eric and Jen, thank you so much for having me, and we could do probably a five-series uh, set on the five L's, each one being its own L, and still fill up the time. Well, you'd be surprised. I may ask you to do that. <laughs> I truly find this fascinating. Yes. So. Stay tuned. All right, everybody. That's another great episode of Get Real KC. Until next time. You have been listening to Get Real KC with Eric Jurgensen and Jen Justice. For more information or to contact our hosts, visit us at dreamhomesbygen.com where you can find more episodes exploring real estate as it matters to you.